Hey everybody, this is Jeannie Faulkner and you're listening to Common Sense Pregnancy and Parenting, the podcast where we talk about all the stuff I couldn't fit in my book, Common Sense Pregnancy. It's still super drizzly and gray here in Portland and I'm good and tired of it, but you know that and I'm not going to whine too much about the weather this week. The good news is that springtime in Portland is gorgeous and it's starting to pop with little flowers and plants busting out of the ground. It's seriously beautiful this time of year here. Still, I could stand a little sunshine. Um, gotten quite a few emails this week and they, there seems to be a theme. And one of the things that I, I've always gotten emails a lot about is back pain, especially during the postpartum period and pregnancy and the toddler years. I can't remember how many times I picked up a hefty, chunky baby and got a good yank in my back. A lot. And every time, I really think it was my body's way of telling me to be more careful with myself or to spend more time strengthening up my core muscles and to use better body mechanics. And, uh, excuse me, I think a lot of women are dealing with this. And recently, I've been dealing with a bum hip that's just about laid me up. Turns out my measly little running efforts over-tightened some muscles, while a whole lot of other muscles are too weak to keep everything stable. So instead of, you know, it hurts. You, you, you're not supposed to do that, apparently, say all my running friends. That's why they do this thing called cross-training, apparently. Um, but instead of going to see my, you know, usual doctor first, I decided to take my sore hip straight to the physical therapist, and um, she was great. She, you know, heard what I was trying to achieve with exercise and understood my goals, and then she showed me what exercises to do to make things less painful and stronger and to speed up the healing process. And I backed my physical therapy up with um, some ruthlessly aggressive acupuncture and some cold laser treatments, and finally, things are getting better. It's taken several months, and I anticipate I'm going to need to stay focused on strength training for life, but finally, it's getting better. And, you know, when I mentioned the hip and the therapy and the success I'm getting to other women, every one of them has a back hip or neck pain story. You know, some go with physical therapy like I did, and some with, you know, pain meds or a massage, and some with acupuncture and chiropractic. A few go with surgery, and all of us have different stories as to what works for who, when. Women put a lot of wear and tear on our bodies, and if we don't give ourselves the attention we deserve, our body sends pain to give us the message. So today what I want to do is kind of address a whole lot of those back pain emails at once by talking to um, a couple of physical therapists. Uh, Our first guest today is a physical therapist who's worked with women for more than 40 years to help them relieve their pain. Let's get Bill Reef on the line. Hello. Hi, Bill. It's Jeannie. How are you? Hey, Jeannie. How are you? I'm doing fine. I'm good. Good. So thank you for coming on the podcast today. We're excited to have you here. What part of the country are you in? I live in Atlanta. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm uh, I'm in Portland, Oregon, and I spend a lot of time whining about the weather this time of year. How about you? Do you need to whine about the weather, too? We have great weather here year-round, so I'm pretty happy. Seriously? Year-round? Pretty much. I played tennis 
outdoors pretty much every day of the year. Oh, my God. I've been to Atlanta quite a few times because one of the organizations that I work with is CARE, and they're based in Atlanta. It's a great city. Oh, I'm about to visit uh, Portland, actually, in June. My niece is graduating from the University of Oregon. Oh, okay. Great. Yeah, right. Yeah, you'll like it here. And June is still kind of gray and drizzly, but you just can't beat it for beauty. And who knows, maybe you'll luck out on the weather. Do you want, an, you want a pro tip about this town? Sure. It's Oregon. Oh. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You'll get yourself caught. Yeah, oh yeah. You'll get yourself caught as an outsider if you say Oregon. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That's, that's, a New York, that's a New York accent. It is, it is. All my East Coast yeah. friends come here calling it Oregon. And then uh, they leave here pronouncing it Oregon. Yeah. Well, Bill, I want to read a little bit of your bio. And then um, we have a lot to talk about today. Uh, Bill, Bill Reef has a Master's of Physical Therapy, graduated from SUNY Buffalo, that's SUNY Buffalo, and Emory University Physical Therapy Programs. He's been an outpatient orthopedic practice or practitioner for almost 40 years. He's the author of an ebook entitled The Back Pain Secret, which is available on Amazon. And you work um, quite a lot with women who have achy backs. Am I right? That is correct. Yeah. Well, in addition to, you know, what I just said, tell me who you are and what you do. Okay. So I graduated Emory University in 1980. And I've been in private practice and other types of settings for almost four decades. Uh, but over the last 10, 15 years, I've developed specialties specifically in women's health. Um, I treat a lot of fibromyalgia. I treat a lot of muscle tension headaches, uh, TMJ or temporomandibular joint syndrome. And then the book is pretty much about something called SI dysfunction or sacroiliac dysfunction. Mm-hmm. And that has become my expertise over the last decade. So why such a special interest in women's health issues? Great question. Um, as a therapist, I discovered that there are many uh, things that are either overlooked or misunderstood or misdiagnosed on the women's health side, specifically in my area, which is orthopedic physical therapy. And a lot of that has to do with you know the fact that most doctors historically were men they don't actually experience any of these things that I mentioned. And in case of SI or sacroiliac dysfunction, it's a very difficult diagnosis to make, specifically if you use just the typical tools I use in medicine, like a CAT scan, MRI, or x-rays. It has to be done clinically. Tell me where the SI joint is. So the SI joint is a joint that's made up of your sacrum, which is a triangular piece of your pelvis, mm-hmm. and the two ilio, or ilium, which is the soft joint. So if you were to put your hands on your waist, okay, your they're there. Be right over your outside joint. Oh, okay. Okay. All right. I get it. And this is the area that, that causes people so much trouble. Well, people meaning athletes of both male and female variety and women of childbearing age. So any woman who has a potential, even if they don't never have a child, potential to have a child is what leads to this problem. Tell me more about that. And the back pain, you, the back pain that women experience, 
is more in the SI or sacroiliac joint, whereas men typically get more what you've heard as disc herniation or slip disc, that kind of thing. Huh. It has a lot to do with it has a lot to do with the fact that beginning at the age of twelve or thirteen, there's a hormone that's released, it's called relaxin. And relaxin, just by the very name, tells you it relaxes all the joints, all the ligaments of your body, beginning at age 13, the adolescence, in females, it starts to relax all the joints of the body in preparation for the possibility of having a child. And then you get a big so whopping dose if you do have a pregnancy. Correct. In fact, it comes, that's exactly right. And what happens if you have a child that's a female and she's a gymnast or a dancer, it even compounds the problem further because they're doing a lot of extraordinary motions, a lot of hyper or hypermobility motions with extending beyond the human norm. And when they do that, this relaxing hormone allows the ligaments to stretch even further. And the problem is if you get too much of this stretching, over time, one side typically might get a little bit overstretched, especially if you have a fall or if you have an injury. But if you're, if you're pregnant, Basically, in the third trimester, your pelvis starts to spread because it's trying to accommodate the head of a fetus, and the relaxing hormone is helping you do that. And most women that have had babies will tell you that the pelvis often doesn't come back together symmetrically. Right. Especially if you've had a large baby, you've had multiple births, or if you've had twins, or a difficult delivery, very often that's where this problem starts. It just kind of places everything out of whack. Correct. And this is something that is basically women that have this problem, which is a very large percentage of people with back pain that have had it for years, will tell you the problem began in the third trimester or with the delivery of their youngest child. And I treated women in their 30s, 40s, 50s, and even 60s that will tell you the history. And they had intermittent or on and off back pain on one side for many years. Whenever they do what I call asymmetrical activity. Is it always... Does it always feel like back pain, or does it sometimes feel like pelvic pain or hip pain? Does it always Excellent feel... Excellent question. Um, predominantly back pain, but you're right. It could be groin pain. It could be buttock pain. It could be what's called sciatica, which is just a pain on the back of your thigh. So it can manifest in many different ways, but pre- predominantly it's low back pain on one side. Hmm. So that's one of the distinguishing factors is that typically one side is rarely on both sides. Hmm. And you don't see this as much with guys because obviously they don't have that hormone. They don't have those big fat babies. Yeah. Yes. Now I have seen it in I do a lot of sports medicine. So I've seen it in hockey players, climbers, people that do a lot of uh, triathletes, um, people that do um, marathons, but they're doing excessive amount of exercise or if they've had an injury. When you have an injury or a trauma, male or female, the pelvis sometimes goes out to one side and it rarely comes back equally on both sides. And then from then on, after that injury, whenever you do something that's asymmetrical, which means one leg is forward, one leg is back, for example, driving, climbing hills, cycling, um, doing lunges in the gym, crossing your legs, all these things are asymmetrical activities that make the problem come back. Yeah. Yeah. And it hurts. Yeah. And it hurts. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, people are going to when somebody gets a backache, you know, they're going to get the kind of help that they are familiar with and that they, they're going to go through sort of a, uh, 
a line of care that they think is best. Like they'll go to their their physician first and then their physician may or may not order an x-ray or a CT scan or something like that. Um, might give them muscle relaxers or pain medicine or anti-inflammatory medications. But what we know now is that actually people should probably just go first to a physical therapist. Leave the doctor out of it and go to the PT first. Why? That's very well put, what you just said. Exactly what happens in the normal scenario. <laughs> they go to the doctor, and most of these doctors are primary care physicians. Mm-hmm. And they, number one, they do not really know this diagnosis. It's not even accepted sometimes in certain areas of orthopedics because there's several reasons. One is that there are no nerves in the actual joint. That's a problem. A lot of doctors say, well, there's no nerves there, it can't hurt. That's not true. Right. The other problem is basically you have a physician who's typically male who doesn't experience this pain, and they're taught that the SI joint moves no more than 5 to 8 millimeters, which is pretty much nothing. Mm-hmm. However, any woman that's had a large baby or multiple births will tell you the pelvis moves a lot more than that. Oh, it moves plenty. <laughs> yes, I mean, it probably moves, you know, up to 100 millimeters, and sometimes the more that it moves, the more it doesn't come back equally. Mm-hmm. So that's the reason why if you went to a primary care doctor, you're going to do everything that you just said, and then you're going to go for MRI or CT scan or X-ray, none of which will show this problem. Right. This problem only shows up when you're in front of someone and a clinician, and they actually measure you as you move. That's the dynamic which means you have to move while you're testing, which none of those tests do. Yeah. And the behavior of your symptoms is a lot different. They're probably going to do those tests, not completely because they think that they're going to see anything specific, but to um, be able to document that they ruled out anything really freaky. That is correct, and that's often very necessary. But if I could, you know, basically tell you there's a few questions that you can answer yourself. And this is what I talk about in my ebook. There are questions you can answer which pretty much will indicate whether this is you or this is your problem or not based upon the questions and how you answer them. I can almost tell you for certain you're going to have an SI joint or not. But you're right. You want to look for bad things like tumors and all that. But very often, most of the time, the problem is going to go right back to the SI joint if it is a problem that was surrounding your pregnancy. So why is physical therapy, you know, the best approach for dealing with something like this? Well, increasingly, there's more and more states. There's about uh, half the states in the United States now where you can go directly to a physical therapist. And you want to find a therapist that's what they call manual therapist who knows this subject. And they will be able to identify the problem and then sort of short circuit all those other things that you mentioned and save you quite a bit of money because the way I look at it is if you have, this called direct access. If you have direct access in your state where you can go to a therapist, just like you can go to a chiropractor or a doctor, if they can determine your problem within the first or second visit, you'll have relief within one or two weeks, even in a long-standing problem that you may have had for 10 years. Then you already know you're on the right pathway. Total relief? You're no. saying total relief? No, 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 no. You'll begin to get relief. You'll no, start no, no. feeling better. I got it. Got it. Yeah. That's a great question. Because the longer you've had this, again, I've seen people with 30 years of on and off pain or people with just three weeks of pain. The ones that have had the pain for a very short time, yes, you might get, I've had people get relief 
the first day that I saw them. And that was usually, you know, a teenager who may have misstepped or, you know, fell mm-hmm. while running. Mm-hmm. Whereas someone that's had a long history, it's going to take longer. And there may be a situation where you're managing it, but you're not really curing it. Mm-hmm. Because you cannot change a long-standing hyper or too much mobility of that SI joint. So in those cases, you get what's called a sacred iliac belt, which is fairly inexpensive, and it can hold the three pieces that, that make up your pelvis together while you're doing what I call defending activities. So if you're a gymnast, if you're a runner, um, if you do a lot of uh, Pilates or yoga, you can wear the belt during those activities that might have otherwise hurt you in the past. What's the belt look like? It's actually a belt that is worn about two or three inches below a regular belt, and it goes right over the SI joint. Um, it's about, it ranges from about three inches wide to about 12 inches wide, depending upon how bad the pain is and how long you've had it. Um, the belt goes under your undergarments, against your skin, so it doesn't, you want it to not move. Mm-hmm. So most of them have a little bit of a rubberized uh, <clears throat> side that doesn't allow movement of the three pieces. Your, your ilium and your sacrum have to be held together once you've corrected the problem. My whole book is about how do you get the problem corrected and then how do you keep it corrected. So you have so to first, are if these, you're an asymmetry, you have to correct that. So are these belts... I mean, is it? I'm mean, envisioning something like what you know furniture movers wear. Is it similar to that? Okay, great. Yes, but much much uh, less of a height to them. So those the ones you might have seen in some of the hardware stores where they have it outside their garment and they have yeah. the straps over your shoulders. You won't have the straps over the shoulders, and the garment is very similar, but it goes against the skin and it's about half of the height. So those things probably are about 14 inches high. This would be three to six inches high. Hmm. And where does somebody get it? Just at a physical therapist? You can buy them online. Mm -hmm. They can be bought all directly from your therapist or chiropractor. Mm. Got it. Um, But you must, the important thing here is you must correct. When I say asymmetry, you know, many people have been told by their mothers or by their tailors over the years that one leg was shorter than another or their hemming of their slacks or their skirt was not even. Mm -hmm. That indicates the problem. And if you can, if you have that, this problem, you can correct that. How? And then, and only then, then you put the belt on. Well, mm-hmm. my book actually has 18 videos. It's an e-book. So when you click on the picture in the book, it takes you to YouTube and it shows you how to self-correct. Mm-hmm. Now, most people can learn to self-correct or also they can self-identify if this is their problem. Mm-hmm. And then if you have a small percentage of people where they are so stuck on one side, they may need the assistance of a therapist to correct them or actually manipulate them at first. So when you and say correct, you're talking about, you know, mm-hmm. correct the problem with the belt. But then after that, you need to do some strengthening exercises, right? To kind of keep correct. everything together. Well, actually, no, you don't, you don't, yeah, Jeannie, you don't really correct the problem with the belt. You hold the, the correction. You first have to make the correction, which are very simple in any position. And that's what the book's all about. It talks about all the different postures in which you can make the correction. Then you put the belt on if you need it. Not, not Only about one-third of the people actually need the belt. And then the last thing you said is you need to get into Pilates or any kind of abdominal core strengthening. And the purpose mm-hmm. of that is those muscles attached to this very area. Right. So once you get Pilates real good, you're going to stabilize from your own muscles. It's like having your own internal corset. 
So physical therapy helps solve the problem, but yoga and Pilates is what you do long term to really, really keep it together. And a lot of physical therapy is very simplistic yoga broken down into very small parts. Right. So when you first go to a therapist, they don't call, they don't call it yoga, but a lot of what you learn initially are things that actually are yoga, but they're very simplified. Mm -hmm. And then if you can get through that successfully without increasing your problem, then you start doing a simple, basic yoga class. Right. And I, I know that you know most recent studies indicate that you're going to get as good a results to relieve your back pain using you know physical therapy with dynamics of yoga and Pilates as anything else, and in fact, better. But, you know, I bet you also have some clients or patients who are yogis, Pilates enthusiasts. As a matter of fact, I am a yogi because I've been doing it for years, but I'm like an amateur yogi. But I uh-huh. just published an article last week in Yoga International Online Magazine, uh-huh. and I did it with a yogi, a yogi from Tucson, Arizona, who basically, she knows yoga much better than I do, but I know physical therapy and I know <laughs> how to protect your back while you're doing yoga. So we collaborated on an article which was published about two weeks ago in Yoga International. What's it called? Um, to basically com- uh, it's, it has to do with correct pelvic motion while doing yoga. Oh, okay. So in every posture, every position you do, um, you go on Yoga International, you can get a free membership for a month. There you go. Um, and the article was published uh, two weeks ago Monday. Great. Great. Well, listeners can go look that up if they want some more information. So have you got some success stories to share? Oh, yeah. I've got uh, quite a few. Actually, I've had a lot of testimonials from people that have had years of pain. Um, one was a young girl that actually, she was an avid swimmer. She wanted to go into Olympics. That's how the level she was at. And she developed a severe back pain one side just from working on a machine um you know in the gym when you're doing the hip ab and adduction machine Mm -hmm. you're on your you're seated and you've got both legs in front of you and you resist going outward and you resist going inward with your legs pretty much straight right so you picture that yeah so she did that fine she did okay with it and she's like i think she was 16 years old she went to lift her leg to get out of the machine you know how you get in yeah. and out of the machine? You set this to go over an object. Well, yeah. she got stuck. She got stuck on one side in that sacred iliac region. And she came to me with severe pain, and she had it for six months. Mm. And she was pretty much giving up swimming. She was my best case ever. She got corrected in the first visit. Number one, she was only 16. Number two, the problem wasn't that old, maybe six months old. Mm-hmm. And number three, she was very compliant. She listened to everything I gave her. By the second visit, she came back with her parents, and she didn't even want to. She took, the parents said to me, she didn't want to come back. And I said, why? She said, because she's completely better. Hmm. Now, that's a rare thing that you get yeah. someone like that. But yeah. it does happen. Yeah. You know, I know that for a lot of people that are doing physical therapy or, you know, maybe their own self-maintenance plan with yoga and Pilates, they are really motivated at first because they want to get out of pain. And so they'll do it for a bit. Um, But then, you know, it's kind of hard to keep up the momentum. How do you motivate people? That's great. Um, Well, first of all, the motivation comes from getting out of pain for the first time in years. That helps a lot. But I think that the 
key thing is they have to find, it doesn't really matter what, but they have to find an exercise routine that they love to do. Mm -hmm. So some people love to swim, some people love yoga, but it doesn't really matter what you pick. And that's the emphasis. I tell patients, I don't really care what you do. I want you to keep moving. Two reasons. One, when you move, uh, if you ever heard of a runner's high, when runners run distances, they have endorphins, which are these hormones that travel through the body that are like the body's opiate. They block pain. So for me, when I swim, I can have pain in four different places, and within a half hour of swimming, that pain is gone. Now, it doesn't last forever. It may be last for 24 to 48 hours, but it's the endorphins that I built up during that swim that caused that. Mm-hmm. So that's the first thing. You've got to get them moving anywhere they choose. And the second thing is they've got to find something that is convenient and fairly inexpensive. So basically, typically a class is what I recommend. And if you're new at it, I would tell you to go to a beginner's Pilates class. Because Pilates is wonderful. I've been doing Pilates myself for years. But if you get too aggressive with it, very often people have neck problems. Because in Pilates, when you're doing, say, a, a the 100, which is like a sit-up, mm-hmm. they have you looking toward your belly button with your head. Well, that's a difficult <laughs> thing for most people. And very often they end up with neck pain from the Pilates. Mm-hmm. So a lot, a lot of what I do, I talk to Pilates instructors, I talk to yoga instructors, just like with my article, that yogi had learned about yoga. She, knew, she knew, knows it inside and out, but she really doesn't know what to do when you have someone walking with neck or back pain. How do you tell them to modify it? So that's where I come in or therapists come in to try to enable people that may have a pre-existing condition that would be exacerbated or made worse by Pilates well, they maybe shouldn't be doing that particular mo- motion in class ever. Yeah. So that's the example of where people get in trouble. They just go back thinking they could do everything, but they can't. Yeah. I know a lot of people will start with physical therapy because they've, you know, developed a specific, like a, a runner's injury or, um, you know, some spe- their, their choice of sport or physical activity causes an injury. Do you tell them to keep doing it or you tell them to take a break? Well, definitely take a break and then you have to rebuild them back to the level that they can handle. So typically, don't be surprised if someone is doing a uh, 10K, um, which is like 6.2 miles, if they have a knee injury, they may have to start out there with just doing maybe a quarter of a mile for several weeks and then see the effect on their knee as they undergo rehab. And then build from there. So if they want to stay in that sport, the most important thing is to pull the reins in on them and just build them back up. Typically, most people feel better after a few weeks of therapy and they want to go gung-ho back to the sport. And that's the biggest problem. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to be held back. Yeah. So what do you think that women can do proactively or preventatively to avoid, you know, pregnancy-related or postpartum back pain? That's great. Uh, great question. If, if you are uh, pregnant and if you're able to, if your doctor allows you to, if you can do a low-level type Pilates class and a low-level yoga class up to the third trimester, and that's typically when they stop you, but if you can get strong before you deliver, going into it, if you're strong, you're going to come out stronger. Yeah. But if you go in weak and allow the tissue to get expanded and weak, you basically are going to have more trouble. So the answer is try to prevent it by being strong all the time, and especially in the early few months. Maintain that tone. 
Uh, Kegel is a very common exercise that's very important because you're trying to, when you do a Kegel exercise, you're actually raising your pelvic floor, which is part of this issue. The pelvic floor muscles are internal to this SI joint, and that Kegel is probably the single most important exercise to learn in order to keep your pelvic floor from collapsing and having problems post-pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Okay. So just shifting gears a little bit, you know, from specific therapies, when you think about, you know, things like how common back pain is here in the United States, and I think it's the number one reason why people seek medical care, and then you think about the number of women around the world whose pain is, you know, untreated, either because they don't have any access to health care or because they don't understand that help is available. What kind of an impact do you think that makes? That's a lot of women who are in pain. Well, you're absolutely right. It's probably in terms of dollars, it's, it's the most extended thing there is in medicine. Uh, it's probably one of the most frequent headaches and back pain are probably the two most frequent things that people seek the medical attention for. Um, and I think it has a tremendous impact on economics. When people are hurting, they cannot work. And I think that if people were to spend more time in their early years uh, getting away from the electronics, like with kids today, um, right now I'm writing an article about something called text neck. I'm sure any of you that have children, if you observe them for more than an hour, you'll see half the time their heads are in their lap texting and doing electronic games. Well, one of my other specialties, I treat a lot of children with adult headaches. Why is that? Because of the hours a day spent with the head in the lap. So in answer to your question, yeah, I think back pain precludes people from getting about their normal daily routine. It's very costly to society in general. Hmm. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. And I'm thinking about, you know, the loss of productivity, you know, the general irritability factor. I mean, seriously, with the number of people that are, you know, affected, it's somehow to some degree disabled with back pain. It's a big impact. Yeah, the other There's way a I'll ripple answer, effect. One other, oh, yeah. One, one other way to answer that question is basically I am not a big believer in surgery. A lot of people have surgery for this problem and for low back, this problems, and they may do fine for a year or two, but then they, what happens, they start coming back with a little bit different version of that problem two or three years later. Mm-hmm. I see this a lot. Mm-hmm. And I think the reason is very often the surgery was not necessary in the beginning. Right. And then that can people, weaken structures you know, this, too. Oh, my gosh. Once you have a fusion, you're limiting your range of mobility in whatever area. So what happens, say you have a fusion of your low back from, and, and they do this a lot, by the way, with sacred iliac problems. There are doctors that will fuse the SI joint, which I consider actually barbaric. Mm-hmm. Because once you fuse a joint that's supposed to move even a little bit, you lose all that motion there forever. Mm-hmm. So what happens is you have to compensate. When you go to pick up your two-year-old, you pick up the laundry basket to get groceries out of the car, something has to give to get into that car, to get to that floor. So what happens is you start moving too much above the fusion where they fix you, and now you have a secondary or different problem. So right. I'm very much anti-surgery unless it's a severe case, unless it's something that's absolutely necessary. But Americans typically jump too far, too fast into surgery, and the reason is because when they have back problems, they often go to an orthopedic surgeon. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what they know. Mm-hmm. And people do not realize, when you go to a doctor, very often you are choosing the treatment methodology 
by who, what specialty you're picking when you go see a doctor. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's not your choice. Sometimes your primary care doctor. But if you go to a surgeon, they don't know much about the physical therapy area. They know that physical therapy is good for their patients, and they, they don't know much about how to do it, but they know when to recognize, when to send it. Right. But if they don't do the conservative therapy, very often they'll suggest a surgical procedure. Yeah. Which to me, it's done 80% too much. Right. I think that we're going to see a shift in that culture um, now because so many people are focusing hard on the opioid drug addiction issue that so often starts with, you know, a handful of Vicodin that the doctor gives you for your backache. So I think that, and and there's a lot of new standards out that say, yeah, don't go that route. You got to do the exercise, the physical therapy, the yoga, the acupuncture, all of those routes first. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what else do you want people to know about your work? I think that you can empower yourself by reading a lot about the particular diagnosis, even if it's not back pain. You learn about the diagnosis and the conservative approach very often. It works. It's just a matter of having enough patience to get through it. And that's what people tend to give up way too soon. Mm-hmm. Like I said earlier, if you get a therapist and they start making you better with a problem you've had for eight years, if you start on the pathway, you say, well, I'm 10% better after two visits, that's going to tell you that you're doing the right thing and you need to do it a lot more. Yeah. And I find patients give up way, way too soon. Right. I've had, you know, I'm, I'm an athlete and I've had multiple injuries throughout my body. And I can tell you, I've never had surgery and I've always waited way longer than I ever thought it would take. But to this day, I have, like, you know, thank God I have zero problems right now at the moment. But I basically have learned to wait and to do the exercises and wait even more. And it often works. And that's my biggest message to anyone with any particular orthopedic problem is give it a lot more time and a lot more attention. And, and diet and nutrition have a lot to do with that. Yeah, we got to give our bodies the chance to do what it's designed to do. So often we just... We figure something's wrong, some external factor needs to fix it, when actually we've got all, you know, most of us have pretty darn good healing capabilities as long as we give our body what it needs, which is generally simple stuff, hydration, oxygen, nutrition, and movement. Dial down the stress a little bit and you've got the recipe for success. You know, a lot of what we do in physical therapy, we call the modalities that include electrical stimulation, massage, ultrasound, exercise, almost every one of these modalities, the intent is to assist your body in healing itself. Mm -hmm. We're not really doing it to the patient. We're just promoting the healing process. And I don't think a lot of people understand that. And that's why modalities are good, but only as good as the compliance of the patient. How good are they at doing the right thing, avoiding the bad positions, sleeping, sitting correctly, ergonomic stuff. And I, I do a lot of that because even like with the sacroiliac joint, if you get symmetrical, even on both sides, which you can do pretty easily, you must stay that way. So if you're sleeping on your stomach or you're sleeping on one side, typically you're in like a fetal position, you're asymmetrical. That's going to contribute to the problem. Mm-hmm. So sometimes it, it means you have to change the way you've been sleeping for 30 years. Hmm. That'd be hard. And that's not easy. Yeah, that'd be really I know, hard. I not easy. Yeah, yeah. But there are a lot of tools that can help you do it. There's a lot of different kind of pillows now 
that can help you do that. Yeah. Wouldn't it be an amazing transformation of our healthcare system if from a very young age, kids are taught, you know, body dynamics, correct movement. They are taught the, you know, the, the fundamentals of self-healing and how to support that. And then when they get sick, they're prescribed not only a healthcare provider, but also a fitness expert. It'd be pretty remarkable. Excellent. Excellent. Again, what I said earlier, I think this issue with electronics is critical because if you spend many hours a day in a rounded, what I call the C-shaped posture, mm-hmm. like the kids sitting on the floor playing Nintendo or Xbox, or one of those games, mm-hmm. or texting, which is <clears throat> pervasive today in society, right. you're going to develop this very flexed position of your neck and back, leading to problems 20 years before they should ever happen. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that's part of it. I think you're right. I mean, I think if you basically taught in kindergarten great posture and great exercises, for a lifetime, that would go a long way. Right, right. And taught that you heal yourself and your doctor is there to help you heal yourself. That'd be great. Yeah, yeah. So there's a couple of questions that I ask every guest down near the end of our interview here. And I'll ask them of you now. How would you fill in the blank? Nobody ever told me that. Wow. Um... It would be so difficult to change the medical field to get more hands-on and more close closer to the actual problem rather than just try to uh, cover it up. For example, you mentioned the opiates. I mean, mm-hmm. I think that you know one reason I wrote the book is I get, I got frustrated for many years trying to educate the medical community, including therapists, chiropractors, and doctors, that this is a real problem. In my opinion, this is my opinion, but basically I think 80% or more of women's back pain is sexoiliac, mm-hmm. where in men it's probably 80% disc. So the answer to your question is I never thought it would be so hard to train people. I've been trying for 40 years to do that, and I wrote this book in the last two years and said, you know what, I need to put this down in writing and, you know, call it the back pain secret because it sort of is a secret. Mm-hmm. People yeah. don't know about it. And, and yet I think it's coming around. But it's taking me a long time to put it out there. Yeah. Well, great. Glad it's out there. Well, then our last question is the one I ask everybody, some version of this. Where are you in your life as a parent or in terms of parenthood? Well, okay. <laughs> I have uh, two sons. Uh, one is an attorney in Washington, D.C., he's 28. The other is a doctor of osteopathy, and he's in uh, Brooklyn, New York. And I'm very proud of them. They made it through you know, a lot of education. I uh, basically have cut my hours way back, and now I'm pretty much trying to enjoy my life. Um, in my semi-retirement, I'm still working, but I cut my hours way back. I used to do 10-hour days. I no longer do that. Uh, now it's all about my own body. I'm trying to get in top, tip-top shape before I turn 65 next year. So that's, uh, you know, I'm very proud of my kids, and they have their own lives. But hopefully I can see them. Uh, I'll be on the uh, frequent flyer mileage uh, program for a long time, flying in New York and Washington, D.C. Two, two of my favorite cities of all time. I love it. 
great to visit. I wouldn't want to. I'm from New York, and I would never want to live there. Mm-hmm. Son picked Brooklyn. Don't ask me why. I have a daughter who lives in Brooklyn too. It's, really? Yeah, yeah. It's a popular destination for kids that age right now. Yeah. Well, Bill, it's been really a pleasure to talk to you, um, and uh, I'll make sure that I mention the book again uh, as I'm closing my podcast. But thank you. Thank you for coming on the podcast today. Appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you, everyone, for listening to my lengthy discussion. <laughs> okay. Bye, Bill. All right. Take care. Bye. So now that we've heard from Bill... I um, thought it might be a good idea to, you know, get another physical therapy perspective. So I am going to get on the line the woman who's been helping me out so much, Joanna Mullet from Providence Hospital and Health Systems. Um, Let me get her on the phone. Hang on. Hey, Joanna, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Are you in the car going to get kids? I am. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I was, we just got off the phone with um, another physical therapist who was my guest for the podcast today. And he was talking all about SI joint as, you know, sort of the focus of why so many women have pain. And so then, you know, I, talk to you about it and you had a really different perspective or maybe I should say a more moderate perspective. So you're a physical therapist. You're the one that I've been seeing for several months now and you're whipping my sore hip into shape. What do you think about the SI joint? So, you know, we were talking about it and SI joint is kind of a, it's kind of a controversial joint in uh, physical therapy because A lot of the research has looked at, you know, does the SI joint really move? And if it does really move, how much does it really move? And what the research tells us with cadavers and whatnot is that there's not a whole lot of movement in the SI joint. And so then the question is, if it doesn't really move that much, is it that it's an alignment issue and it's really getting out of alignment? And that's what a lot of people are, you know, questioning. Does it really move that much? And so... We know that with women who are pregnant and who have a lot of relaxant in their systems, that the ligaments are loose, but they're loose everywhere, right? Mm -hmm. But the SI joint becomes more loose because of the extra stress on our abdominals, the weakness on our abdominals, the stress on our low back with carrying all that extra load. So women with pregnancy definitely have more SI issues. But there hasn't been a whole lot of research to support that the SI joint is the cause of a lot of low back pain outside of pregnancy. And yet, we were also talking a little bit about, you know, different, I think you mentioned to me that some people are all about the SI joint. Some people say there's no evidence for it. And it sort of sounded to me like you fall somewhere in the middle. I do. I definitely fall down the middle because I do think the SI joint is an issue and there is some research to support with certain tests when you look at certain things that the SI joint is involved. So I do think there are circumstances where the SI joint is involved. I'm not one of those people that, you know, refuse to even look at the SI joint, but I'm not also someone who thinks that a lot of problems are caused through the SI joint. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we definitely see more issues with the SI joint with um, 
you know, more traumatic things where it could really get kind of thrown out of out of alignment or maybe some people who have a leg length difference that puts more stress on the SI joint. Not necessarily that it's out of alignment, but that there's a lot more stress on those ligaments and that can cause pain. So there are places where I do feel like the SI joint can get out of alignment and does need treatment. Um, I just wouldn't say that every person with back pain has an SI issue. And ultimately what it's going to come down to is strengthening up the muscles to, you know, provide more support and structure for whatever's going on in the low back anyways, right? Yeah, I mean, the SI joint is a really ligamentous joint, so those ligaments are really supposed to provide the majority of stability at that joint. But if for some reason they're not doing their job, then you really need to work on the muscles around that to help support that joint and kind of help those ligaments out that aren't getting their job done. So definitely core stability and a lot of hip stability because a lot of the fibers from those glute muscles, your, you know, hip and your butt muscles, um, they play a role into that SI joint. So anything you can do to stabilize that. And, and then if there's imbalances, you know, flexibility-wise, is one um, hip much tighter than the other, or one hip moves really great and the other one doesn't, trying to balance out those imbalances to take stress off of that joint. And then the other thing that you and I were discussing is how, you know, there can be a lot of... Um, there's a lot of weight placed on the value of research versus the value of, you know, sort of empirical evidence, what patients tell you. And, you know, that's something that always really fascinates me because I really, I don't think that research tells the whole story. I think that, you know, even if there isn't a ton of evidence for a certain intervention or procedure or diagnosis, what people say and what they experience as patients carries almost as much weight. It carries a lot of weight. You know, when we talk about evidence-based practice, we're not just talking about what the research shows us. We're talking about our experience as therapists, and we're also talking about patients and what the patients feel and what the patients think and their experiences and what's worked for them and what's not worked for them. And there's a lot of actually good new research talking about how, you know, if our brain thinks one thing, you know, that that can make that a reality. So if our brain really thinks that strengthening our muscles is going to help with our back, it, it really probably will help yeah. because our brains are, you know, a priority. And so... And our brains are is big, yeah. And our brains are just looking for information to help our bodies heal itself, you know, in whatever way yep. that we can get that. Yeah. Well, Joanna, yeah. thank you. I really appreciate your adding another perspective to this. It's important. Well, thanks for the call. I really liked, uh, really enjoyed speaking with you. <laughs> well, great. Okay, we're going to talk again soon down the road. Okay, sounds good. Okay, bye bye. Well, there you go. You got a couple of really good, interesting opinions and perspectives on back care after pregnancy. Our guest today was Bill Reef, who is a physical therapist, and you can find his book, The Back Pain Secret, over on Amazon.com. We were joined also by physical therapist Joanna Mullet, who works at Providence Hospital and Health Systems over in Portland, Oregon. You can find my book, Common Sense Pregnancy, 
over at Amazon.com and everywhere else books are sold. And you can find me over at GeneFaulkner.com. Or email me, Gene at Gene Faulkner. Tweet me, at Gene Faulkner. Or find me in the book over on Facebook. Common Sense Pregnancy and Parenting is produced by Alex Ward at Sounds Like Pictures Studios. Thanks for picking up a copy of the book, for subscribing to the podcast, and for sharing it. And thanks for taking the time to join the conversation. Let's talk again next week. Bye-bye.